This is episode 40 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Why Preppers Should Spend More Time Learning and Less Time Shopping, The Best Non-Perishable Foods, Sweeteners, Condiments, and More to Stock Up On, and How to Make an Herbal Tincture. Hey, my name is Todd Zapolvita. I'm the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, We're going to go ahead and read our first article from The Organic Prepper. Daisy has a good article over here, Why Preppers Should Spend More Time Learning and Less Time Shopping. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just start reading. Here we go. Hey, you with the shovel, stop building that bunker. I want to ask you a question. Also, you, the folks with the shopping carts full of shelf-stable food, hold on a minute. How much time do you spend learning? And by learning, I don't mean some required on-the-job training or skimming over an article here and there. I mean a time that you set aside on a regular basis, whether it is weekly or daily, to focus all of your attention on something you need to learn. Many people, once they get out of school, don't spend a lot of time in study. As far as actual scheduled study time, it's going along with their childhood once that it's gone along with their childhood once they get their degree or diploma. But recently, when I asked the community what you felt you should focus on to further your preparedness efforts, a huge portion of you said skills and information. Becoming adept or knowledgeable is not going to magically happen without some concentrated effort and some resources. Just owning some books on a topic isn't enough. You have to delve into it deeply and try it out if you want to be able to depend on the skill or knowledge during a difficult situation. And best of all, it can never be taken away from you. No government official doing so for the greater good. No jerk whose entire survival plan revolves around taking what you stored. No natural disaster that destroys your home, your preps, and all your worldly possessions. In a long-term scenario or extreme situation, the only way to be truly prepared is to be able to be independently, is to independently, sorry, provide for your own needs without relying on the government, the stores, or the supply chains. Once you've learned something, really learned it, and put it into practice, it's yours forever. If you're on a budget, you're in luck. It's oft, it often costs very little to obtain knowledge. Between books, local classes, and online courses, you can get a ton of information and practical steps to take for for a very nominal fee, and sometimes it's even free. Of course, you need supplies, but stop shopping for a little while and focus on increasing your knowledge. Bonus, your future purchases will be made with more discretion due to your new information. But it won't happen without some determination and some time blocked off, specifically for that purpose. You have to learn like your life depends on it, because one day it could. First, I'll provide some of my favorite resources, and then I'll tell you my secret for making learning a priority. Most of the time, people in the preparedness world like to have hard copies of important information. This way, if the power goes out and you can't access the internet or recharge your Kindle, you still have access to vital advice. Some of these books are for just such an event, while others are guides to building your self-reliant skills. Commit to picking up a good book each pay period until you have a library to reference during any type of scenario. But don't just buy it and stick it on a shelf. Read that book and put some of the ideas into action. You may not have time to sit down and read 200 pages in the midst of a crisis, right? My own books are indicated with a star. 
the Prepper's Canning Guide, and the, these are all, just FYI, these are all books here uh, that Daisy is linking to. The Prepper's Canning Guide. It's awesome to grow your food, but how will you make it last through the winter, particularly during an off-grid scenario? The Prepper's Water Survival Guide. Water isn't exactly a fascinating topic, but it's certainly one of the most vital. This technical guide will walk you through storing, acquiring, and purifying water. The Pantry Primer, a prepper's guide to whole food on a half-price budget. This book outlines building your healthful pantry while on a strict budget. The Prepper's Blueprint, the step-by-step -step guide to help you through any disaster. This is the be-all and end-all Bible of prepping. Tess's book is the most complete compendium out there, broken into easy, manageable steps. Survival Mom, how to sorry, Survival Mom, how to prepare your family for everyday disasters and worst-case scenarios. This is the classic book that made prepping more mainstream. It's a down-to-earth guide that will help you take on any emergency with uh, with a plum. I'm sorry, I might need my glasses. I need to start wearing my glasses or increasing the the um, the font on my computer here. But I think that said aplomb. I don't know if that was... Um, I don't even know what aplomb means, just to be honest with you. So I might have to look that one up. <laughs> okay. I got to tell Daisy to, to, to write at a lower level for me. All right. So Prepper's Natural Medicine. At some point, you may run into a scenario in which modern medicine is not available. I used this book recently when I was bitten by a black widow spider in the midst of a storm that kept us trapped at home for a week unable to leave due to mudslide. The SAS Survival Guide, How to Survive in the Wild or Land or Sea. I keep this little gem in my vehicle, my bug out bag, and in my kids' backpacks. It doesn't go into lots of detail, but if you find yourself stranded in the middle of nowhere, this small book could save your life. The Encyclopedia of C Country Living, 40th Anniversary Edition, the original manual of living off the land and doing it yourself. A compendium of all things self-reliance. Prepper's Home Defense, security strategies to protect your family by any means necessary. If you can't protect it, you don't own it. It's that simple. How to Survive the End of the World as We Know It, Tactics, Techniques, and techni Technologies for Uncertain Times by James Wesley Rawls, who, may con who many consider the father of the modern preparedness movement. The Prepper's Pocket Guide 101, or 101 Easy Things You Can Do to Ready Your Home for a Disaster, Quick, Inexpensive Preparedness Steps that Anyone Can Take. The Survival Medicine Handbook, a guide for when help is not on the way. And guys, y'all have heard me just nail this one over and over again. Uh, Daisy continues, it's vital to have a guide on hand that doesn't rely on 911 for serious in injuries in the event that you're completely on your own. And the Complete Tightwad Gazette. While this book is about hardcore frugality, trust me, there's crossover. There are a lot of great suggestions for creating stockpiles on a budget, living simply, and doing things the old-fashioned way. And saving money is always a good idea so that you can use it to help you become more prepared. Be sure to check out used bookstores, libraries, and garage sales too. Look for books that teach self-reliance skills like sewing, gardening, animal husbandry, carpentry, repair manuals, scratch cooking, and plant identification. You can often pick these, pick these up for pennies and older books don't rely on expensive new technology or tools for doing these tasks. And I'll just say, uh, if you have a half-price books by your uh, around you close by, you you'll want to visit that you know on a regular basis. And what I have found is uh, in the Houston area, different half-price books 
have um, they kind of focus on different things. So like one, I, I know like if I'm looking for a spiritual book, uh, has a bigger spiritual uh, section than others. Uh, I, I went to one the other day that had uh, a nice selection of uh, survival stuff, man. SAS manuals and and uh, even one of Jim Cobb's books was in there. So a lot of good stuff uh, there, and uh, you can get it for good deals there. All right, continuing on. The Internet is a wonderful place, and best of all, a lot of this knowledge can be found for free. The more you know about crisis situations, the more ready you will be to face them. Some sites are friendlier to beginners than others, so if you stumble upon a forum where people seem less than enthusiastic about helping people who are just starting out, don't let it get you down. Move on and find a site that makes you feel comfortable. If you see them utter the words, if you aren't already prepared, it's too late, run, don't walk away from them. No one needs that kind of doom and gloom. It's stressful, unhelpful, and honestly kind of mean. Plus, I firmly believe it's never too late as long as you just get started. To get the most out of a website, I strongly recommend subscribing to the newsletter. For example, I provide information to subscribers that isn't available on my website. Plus, I share a lot of personal stories about how preparedness and frugality have helped our family live a comfortable and secure lifestyle. As well, when I find a really cool offer or discount, I can let you know about it ASAP. You can subscribe to it here and get a free bundle of PDFs of the information readers have found to be the most helpful and inspiring over the years. Following are some of my favorite sites and the links will take you to a good starting point on these sites in no particular order. The Organic Prepper, obviously, and sign up for the newsletter here. Prepper University, there's a fee for the courses, but sign up for the free newsletter. You'll get a free class and an easy-to-incorporate prepper tip every day. Backdoor Survival, The Survival Mom, Survival Weekly, Ready Nutrition, Gray, Gray Wolf Survival, a former Army badass, writes about survival in an intelligent, easy-to-implement manner that cuts through all nonsense. SHTF Plan, Disaster Preparer. This is Dr. Arthur T. Bradley's site. He's a former NASA scientist. If you want to know about natural disasters, EMPs, and solar flares, he's your guy. Preparedness Advice, Survival Blog, Herbal Prepper, Prepper Website. Uh, hint, hint, you want to go to that one. Uh, <laughs> as well as all of these. All of these are great sites. Survival Sherpa, Urban Survival Site, Food Storage Moms, Homestead Dreamer. Actually, I think almost all of these have given me permission um, I think all but two, and I didn't really know of one of them, uh, has given me permission to to read their articles. So you 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 will hear them on uh, the podcast as well as visiting their sites, uh, definitely. And the newsletter thing, that's a that's a, you know you, many different sites have different uh, you know benefits for them. You definitely want to to look into that. That's always a benefit. And yeah, you do get the email. You do uh, shift sift through that. But a lot of the times, those emails are good to keep too. You know, you, if you just create a file or folder and you kind of drop them in there, you can you can learn a lot and you can just you have it for reference. I know people do that with the Prepper website newsletter that I send out. All right, so seven ways I make learning a priority. You may notice that there are a couple of days per week on which I don't usually post articles or send newsletters. That's because on at least one of them I learn. I set aside the entire span of my workday for it too. I don't mess around. Here's what my study schedule looks like. I block off time for it. I have work hours, and that's quote unquote work hours, even though I'm self-employed because I find it makes, makes me more productive. I get up early, feed animals, grab some coffee, and get to work on the things that require the most concentration. 
Then, by the time my daughter is up and over her morning muteness, I'm finished with the things that require my undivided attention. I treat learning day exactly the same way as any other work day. I catch up on newsletters. I don't usually take the time to read newsletters the day they come. There are a couple that are so good I have to, but mostly I save them in a file on my email. Then I sit down with my coffee and read them all. I keep a link document. As you can imagine, with the amount of research I do, I read many articles per week. However, there are dozens more I want to read, but just don't have time at the moment. Instead of losing them to the vagaries of the internet, I have a document to which I paste links all week long so that when I have time, I can sit down and read the articles. Once I've read them, I delete them from my list. I take online courses. Man, I love the internet. I can learn about things that would have cost thousands of dollars in time in a classroom before. Almost everything I learned about homesteading or running an easy-to-use website originated from an online course. On my designated learning day, I catch up with any webinars or assignments. I listen to podcasts or videos. If the information is presented in a format that I can listen to, I generally do that while I'm doing laundry or working in the kitchen. Those links go into my link documents too. I take notes. I keep two learning journals. One is for preparedness, homesteading information, and the other is for website and business related stuff. I take notes of the things that inspire me or seem the most applicable to my situation. I implement what I've learned. At the end of my learning session, I make a plan to implement the things I've learned. Maybe I add a button to my website that makes it easy for folks to print off the information. Perhaps I figured out a good way to plant a certain vegetable, so I order the seeds. You get the idea. Now, you may not have an entire day to spare, but I'll bet you could take a few hours away from other activities, right? Having the information at hand can help, but often in a crisis, seconds count, and you won't want to waste that time looking things up in a book. You can read and listen to podcasts until the cows come home, but until you actually put what you learn into practice, it will be it will be of as much use to you as the difference between an isosceles triangle and a scaling one, something you learned but never applied. Take a prepping course and actually follow the to-do list and do the challenges. There is a section each week of low-cost tasks and challenges don't cost a penny. Take the master gardening class, make a plan, and produce the best garden ever. Go to the first aid course and brush up on your skills regularly. Learn five ways to light a fire without matches and actually practice until it becomes easy. Involve the family. You can make this fun. Become a prepared, skillful, skillful person takes time. If you're really serious about it, you're going to have to commit to more than just stashing away some buckets. Make learning a priority. It's the least expensive, most important prep you'll ever make. Um, I definitely 100% agree with Daisy in this article. I love I love all the resources that she provided for you there. I like that she listed out uh, the way that she does her learning and what works best for her. Some people that you know, like she said, some people might not have that ability to sit down all day. You might have a couple hours here and there. I remember listening um, before I got into preparedness. One of my favorite authors was John Maxwell, and he does a lot of leadership stuff and. Lately, I haven't read his books, but at one time I read all of I had read all of his leadership books and even subscribed to his monthly. Uh, they would send a CD out, right? And uh, you, you would hear the you would hear uh, like a, a leadership, um, you know, certain messages on leadership. And one of the things I remember him saying is that if you study a specific topic for an hour a day, 
in five years you become an expert right I, I think in maybe three to five years you become an expert and I think I've actually even I went back to go find that and I, I think I put it in an article not too long ago but uh, three to five years you become an expert in that specific topic because you're studying it you're reading it you're you're starting to apply it you're getting the ideas you're starting to see things you know when you put a new idea into your your mind right uh, it becomes part of your uh, your your knowledge, your your background knowledge, your schema. Uh, we use that's a word that we use in education, and you you start to build on that. And then when you look and tackle another topic, or you come upon another scene or another scenario, you're able to use that information that you learned, and you're able to apply that right. And so um, you're building on that knowledge, and it's powerful. But you have to put it into practice. You have to you know, get out there and, and try it out. So I uh, love that. Um, love that. What I do, I do a lot of the same stuff that Daisy was saying. I just don't use, uh, journals. I use, uh, I kind of keep it all electronically and I know like, Hey, if it all goes to, you know, hell in a handbasket, what are you going to do, Todd? But, uh, that's how I kind of organize my stuff. I just kind of make it easy. I don't have a, um, if if anybody has seen my videos that I do at my kitchen table, that's my office, and so I don't just have a I don't have a lot of space to put things. So I I've learned how to uh, do it electronically and back it up on a USB drives and, and things like that. All right, so let's go ahead and go on to the next article. This comes to us from beastrevival.com. Um, this is an interesting one because not only is he talking well, the the, the title of the article is the best non-perishable food. Foods, sweeteners, condiments, and more to stock up on. Because I think a lot of the times we talk about food, we talk about the, you know, the, the rice, the beans, the pasta. Um, and you do have some people talk about seasonings and herbs and things like that. But you know, we really need probably to put a little bit more time and effort into that. And uh, really, you know, really consider how we're going to store that for long term. So let's go ahead and get into this article here. Uh, Be Survival, the best non-perishable food, sweeteners, condiments, and more to stock up on. There are many foods that do not spoil or decay over time. Salt, while technically a rock, is one example. Dried beans, honey, and jello mixes are others. If I ask you to name a food that can be stored a long time, the first food that pops into most people's minds is probably dried beans or possibly rice or maybe grains if you know a thing or two. These types of foods, if properly sealed using mylar bags and oxygen absorbers, do have an incredibly long shelf life upwards of 25 years. Some may also think of canned meats like Spam or maybe MREs come to mind. But thankfully, there aren't. these aren't your only options. In fact, you have many. Here is a list of a few of the best non-perishable foods to stock up on. White rice, beans, dried, many kinds, grains, dried fruit such as raisins, dried cranberries, dried cherries, dried apricots, dried mangoes, dates, dried blueberries, dried plums, banana chips, figs, etc., dried cranberries, hardtack, crackers, biscuits, or SESB. The items listed above can last for incredibly long times if stored right. You have to keep them fully dry and sealed because if you let any moisture or humidity in, they will ruin. Store them in batches in mylar bags and O2 absorbers and they will last for an incredibly long time. Once a batch is open, store them in an airtight Tupperware container and eat them within a few days or a week or two at most. I don't know about the uh, 
the dried fruits. Um, I'm not an expert in dehydr or you know drying fruits and all that kind of stuff, so I don't know how long uh, they would they would really last if you put them in, uh, you know, if you sealed them up. Uh, maybe someone can comment on that one there. Uh, and so anyway, here we go. Continuing on. The items listed above can last for... Uh, I already read that one. Sorry. <laughs> um, other survival foods that are non-perishable. Honey, molasses, maple syrup, dry mixed jello, instant freeze dried coffee, peanut butter, sorta. The fats can sometimes go bad after a long while. These survival foods, although they are non-perishable, might change a little. By change, I mean that the flavor might change a little throughout the years or the texture might differ slightly, thickening throughout the years. Dried pasta noodles. Many, if not most, all pasta and noodles have an incredibly long shelf life in and of themselves. But if you leave them in the boxes, they come in, they will go bad. Store them like you would dry beans. Base ingredients that are non-perishable. Cornstarch, baking soda, corn syrup. These items can last indefinitely if they are stored airtight, free of moisture, and in a cool place. They can be used for a variety of uses, especially baking soda. Post-apocalyptic toothpaste, anyone? Seasonings that are non-perishable. Salt, sugar, pepper, most spices, most dried herbs, pure flavor extracts like pure vanilla extracts, etc. If you keep these seasonings in airtight containers, free from moisture and in a cool place, they are probably going to last you an incredibly long time. They will probably last indefinitely if the conditions are right, but seasonings and herbs will lose some strength. Uh, going back to the top, I'm, I'm not sure about cornstarch, baking soda, and corn syrup. Again, if someone will uh, comment, that will be very helpful there. I think I've read uh, differing uh, opinions on that. Again, with all food storage, you want to, you know, you want to do first in, first out type thing. You want to be on a rotating basis. So if you have stocked up this stuff and you have, you know, even if it's cornstarch, baking soda, you stocked it up, you have big amounts of it, but you're rotating it through, um, th that definitely helps. Um, the actual putting it in Mylar bags, again, if someone's done it out there and has a little bit of information, uh, you know, please leave it in the comments. Uh, continuing on. If you keep these seasonings in airtight containers, I think I've read that already. Um, so let me go ahead and say that again. If you keep these seasonings in airtight containers, free from moisture, and in a cold place, they are probably going to last you an incredibly long time. They will probably last indefinitely if the conditions are right. Uh, but seasonings and herbs will lose some strength. The list of dried herbs and spices, meaning the herbs, peppers, and other dried powders mixed by a company and put in a jar that can be stored nearly indefinitely is so long and varied depending on everyone's unique taste that I won't try to make any exact list here. Just know that you can keep most of them for a very long time, so go experiment and find your flavors. Seasonings often get overlooked when prepping, but they can make any bland food taste better. And it lets you make your canned chicken and white rice meals five times in a row without repeating exact flavors. Condiments that are non-perishable. Worcester sauce unopened, vinegar, white apple, balsamic, raspberry, rice wine, and red wine. Ketchup if unopened, and mustard. These condiments will probably change in taste and might become slightly sour, especially the ketchup, but they still remain safe to consume for years. Note, however, that if you refrigerate ketchup and mustard, they will, they will sour if left out afterward. Survival drinks that are non-perishable. Water, 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 of course. Wine, spirits, liquor, did I mention water? 
You can go several weeks without food, but without water, you're only going to make it a couple of days. It is important for your own survival that you have an abundant source of water. Liquor with a, with a high percentage of alcohol will dehydrate you. It won't be smart to drink these often, but it would still be wise to stock them since liquor can be used to disinfect wounds and provide some fun in dark times. Tea bags and water flavor packs. Tea is a really great way to flavor boring old water, especially if you have a little sugar or honey. Flavor packs work the same and last basically forever. One thing to take into consideration is that if you keep non-perishable foods for a long time and eat them after years have passed, the food, although probably still edible, might taste a little dull or odd and the color might change slightly. And honey may crystallize or salt might form a big hard ball, but they are still just as usable. And sometimes it's a good idea to trust your own senses because you can never be too careful with food. First, do a test before eating. Smell if the food still smells good. See if the food has developed any molds or growth, and use your tongue to make sure it's not bitter. If the food is within its long expiry date and passes the sense test, it's safe to eat. Alright, so, um, you know, things to think about there. You're definitely, um, the point that I really want to leave with you here on this one is that if you're storing rice and beans and pasta and you're storing those kinds of things, you definitely want something to go along with them. You want those seasonings uh, to go along. Pepper and salt. Um, you should have a lot of salt, man. You, I mean, that's it's cheap. If you have the space for it, you should be stocking it. Um, you know, so definitely have some salt and pepper and uh, you know those just the basics. But you should have more. And then learning how to use herbs in your garden to season. I think that's very very important as well. But you definitely want to have some of these things. As far as you know, putting them, locking them down in mylar bags and O2 sensors and stuff like that, or O2 oxygen absorbers. Thinking, you know, my car needs to change the O2 sensor, uh, oxygen absorbers or whatever. Um, so you, you know, you. I don't know if you want to completely do that uh, on on seasonings, but you definitely. I think the rotating in and out. And having that uh, that food pantry, that big, deep food pantry where you're doing that kind of stuff, I think that's that's important, and you definitely want to do that. Um, but again, I'm gonna I'm gonna say again, having herbs in the in the garden that you use on a regular basis, I think that's important as well, and knowing how to dry them and and save them as well, um, because ultimately, if it if you're in a long long term scenario. Your seasonings are all going to run out. You're going to want to be able to, to still season and still, uh, you know, have flavor. Flavor is just so important. All right, it's Friday, and on Fridays, I try to pull an article from the archives. Um, I, try to, I try to pull something that I haven't really read too much of here lately, and that's herb, or, you know, the herbal uh, topic, but specifically making herbal tinctures. And um, so I want to, I'm going to read this article because this goes through the basics of making a tincture. And then I'm, uh, I want to just let you know that I'm going to link to an article of a tincture that I make during the winter time. I know it's not winter time, but I want to throw this out to you because I, I, uh, this, I, I think this tincture is so uh, powerful that I've uh, copied down the recipe and I, you know, I have it saved uh, for myself. So uh, you, you'll probably want to do the same thing. So this one comes to us from the Survival Mom, survivalmom.com, and it's how to make an herbal, herbal tincture. So let's go ahead and read this one. 
Herbal extracts, also called tinctures, are one of the best ways to include herbal remedies in your emergency preparedness preps. Tinctures are concentrated and have a long shelf life, much longer than dried herbs or capsules. Like other preparations though, extracts will need to be protected from extreme temperatures and direct sunlight, otherwise they will degrade and become less potent. Most herbal tinctures are made using alcohol. Everclear, vodka, and brandy are the most popular choices. Rubbing alcohol should never be used for a tincture that you plan to use internally. It's toxic. A ratio of 50 to 50 alcohol and water will make the strongest, longest lasting extracts. So 100 proof vodka is often a good choice for preppers concerned about shelf life. Vodka is also easier to obtain than Everclear and there's no need to worry about adjusting the proof. There are two ways to make a tincture. The first way is an easy general, easy general guide that's safe for most plants and useful if there is no convenient way to measure out ex, ex, exact amounts. We'll look at the method here because it's great for beginners. There's no tricky math to figure out ratios or trying to deal with grams of dry weight versus fluid ounces of the alcohol. This method is the traditional or folk method of making tinctures and is what I use the majority of the time. For this method, place dried or fresh herbs into a glass containing jar and add brandy or vodka to cover the herbs by one inch. Place the lid on the jar and leave it in a cool, dark place for two weeks so that the herbs can fully extract into the alcohol. During the two weeks, check on the tincture once a day. Add more alcohol if needed as the herbs may absorb some of it over time and shake the jar gently each time you check on it. After two weeks, use a mesh sieve or a small colander uh, lined with muslin or cheesecloth to strain the extract in into a clean jar. The herbs left over from the tincture are called the mark. Twist the top of the cloth together to form a small bundle with the mark inside and press as much liquid out of the mark as you can for your tincture. The mostly dry mark can be added to a compost pile if you like. It's best to keep your finished tincture in blue or amber glass to help reduce exposure to light. OPEC screw top nag nagling plastic bottles can uh, be used as well for a more durable option. Be sure to label your extracts clearly with the name of the herb, alcohol used, and the date it was pressed. Herbal tinctures keep in cool. Keep, I'm sorry. Herbal tinctures kept in a cool environment and out of direct sunlight can be expected to last anywhere from three to five years or even longer. Signs of spoilage to look for include mold, most likely to happen in a tincture made from fresh herbs because they have a high water content which dilutes the alcohol. A change in consistency or changes in color. Tinctures will evaporate over time, so be sure to use a tight fitting lid and store the jars standing upright in a position where they are less likely to leak. One other quirk of homemade tinctures to be aware of is the tendency for the extract to form a layer of sediment in the bottom of the jar. To lessen this, the tincture can be dripped through a few layers of coffee filters to clear it from the dust-sized particles of herbs that the cheesecloth didn't trap earlier. It's always a good idea to store glass drop, dropper lids separately and seal your homemade tinctures with a regular screw cap. The same sediment that can form in the bottom of the jar can also clog up a dropper pipette and be difficult to clean out. Making your own herbal tincture is a very cost-effective way to add to your herbal preps and a very good preparedness skill to have. Most importantly though, you need to learn how to safely use the herbal tinctures you make. 
Be sure to reach e research each herb individually so that you understand potentially safety issues, drug interactions, and the traditional dosage of each herb. Most herbs will have a range of between 15 and 30 drops per serving. If an herb is traditionally used in smaller or even single drop doses, it should be used by experienced herbalists only and should not be made using the folk method. More precise measurements are required for low dose herbs. Alright, so that's a good article on the basics of uh, herbal making an herbal tincture just uh, the overall basics and and I think that's important because then you want to go research your herbs and use those uh, to make your tincture and so the tincture that I uh, that I wanted to talk to you about was a recipe for hot echinacea tincture and so this is stuff that uh, you're, you're gonna need to probably order online um, you know some of the herbs uh, from like mountain mountain rose rose uh, hill. Oh my gosh, I can't remember mountain rose. Uh, I, I, I I'm losing it. It's late. It's uh, you know I record. I say this all the time. I record the night before, so it's Thursday. But we do a small group in my house on Thursday night. So by the time everybody leaves, it's like really really late. Um, so I'm like I'm dying. Anyway, I'm not complaining though. I don't want to complain because I really love doing this and I, I really enjoy the Friday podcast. But anyway, so um, a lot of good stuff here um, that you, you wind up finding. And here's the only thing that I would say. When I made this, I made a, I made a huge jar of it. You know, I mixed everything in there and made a huge jar so that when I strained it all out and I did everything I needed to do, I had a ton of it, you know. I had I had too much of it actually, and so uh, you want to really think about that because you you're thinking like I'm gonna go get a mason jar. I'm dropping this stuff in here, you know. Uh, but you know you you don't want to completely use one of those humongous jars, big mason jars. You, you just you'll just have so much stuff. So anyway, really think about that. You you want to start off small. And uh, especially those those recipes that call for like one part of this, one part, two parts of that. Um, you know, you're using small measurements and start off really, really small because you know uh, you'll you'll get a lot there in in return. And then see if you're gonna like it because sometimes like this one, this hot echinacea tincture, it's hot, man. There's cayenne pepper in it, and uh, so I normally make a, a chamomile tea and drop it in there and uh, so it's like a hot uh i mean not just like hot hot but hot like spicy chamomile tea and uh people who have like i've taken it to work before people that have used it i, I know that i've i've made it for family i mean they really feel like it helps it definitely opens up you know your sinuses and your airways and all that and it's so you know when you have cold and cold season flu season uh, those kinds of things are going on and you can take it for preventative measures but you can also take it when uh, on the first signs of you know, you're starting to feel bad so um, you want to go check this one out because I'm gonna I'm gonna link to it in the show notes of episode 40 and uh, give you the link there where you can go get the recipe for this one and this is going to be one that you'll want to print out or one that you'll just copy and and paste uh, kind of going back to what Daisy was saying maybe if you have a notebook or you have some digital way of saving it you'll want to be able to do that all right so uh, go check that out and go check out all the other articles or the websites because they all have links uh, to all the other you know that's the thing about the, doing the podcast you can't 
see the links right that that I'm talking about uh, or that I'm uh, that I'm reading uh, through, and you'll want to go check those out because they always have helpful information there uh, that you know that link that they link to. Definitely, that's that's the the beauty of the internet and the articles that uh, that are out there. Hey, before I sign off for this week, uh, just a, a reminder: it is Friday, but it is uh, it's a special Friday. It's Good Friday. And for those of us who are Christians, those of us who are believers, it's a, it's an important day. Uh, that's the the day that Jesus was crucified and, and died on the cross. And we we know that he encountered uh, a lot of rejection. We know that he encountered uh, a lot of torture. Carried his cross. He was nailed to the cross. You know, the Romans could almost skin a man alive. Um, they had crucifixion down to a science. And so he he encountered a whole whole lot. And so, you know, we, we remember that uh, on Good Friday. A lot of the times we go to churches and we have Palm Sunday or the triumphant entry, uh, you know, Sunday, which was, would have been this last Sunday. And then we go from that Sunday to Resurrection Sunday. And there are some traditions that have Monday, Thursday services and some traditions that have Good Friday services. But for the most part, most people going to church go from Sunday to Sunday. They go from the triumphant entry to Resurrection Sunday. And we tend to forget the suffering and the pain, the rejection, the torture that Jesus went through. And so maybe today, uh, after listening to the podcast, or maybe later on tonight when you get a chance, you know, reflect a little bit on, if you're, if you're a believer, definitely, reflect on the price that was paid. And I'm just going to kind of leave you with that. You know, the price that was paid was, was great for you to, um, to, know, to know the Father intimately and to uh, receive salvation. And so I'm just going to go there. Not, uh, not too much preaching on that, but it is an important day for us and for me and those of us who are Christians. Well, I can't believe that it's episode 40, and I can't believe that we're already, you know, it's already Friday again. And so I just want to say thank you for all of those who are supporting uh, the podcast. I, I see the numbers and I am just amazed. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate all the websites that are out there that are, uh, you know, the shout outs and, and that are promoting it on social media. Uh, I really, I see that. I, I really do appreciate that. Uh, and I appreciate those of you that are coming to the website and sharing it out as well on your personal feeds and your personal uh, media. I don't always see that, but I do know that it's happening, and I do appreciate that. It's a great blessing, uh, a great blessing for me. So thank you so much for allowing, um, or thank you so much for making it worth it uh, to continue doing this, because it definitely is, uh, you know, when you see those numbers, you, you're kind of like, yeah, this People are listening to it. I'm not just talking to a microphone in my kitchen and, and, and that's it. I know people are listening, so I really do appreciate it. If you get a chance, come by the website. Drop me a line in the comment section. Or you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you would like to interact a little bit more, we do have the Facebook group. Um, it's, it's still small. We're still um, you know, gathering a little bit of momentum. Um, but you can get to it from the podcast website, and there's a little button that says 
free Facebook group, or you can get to it by going to amoreselfrelientlife.com. Again, that's amoreselfrelientlife.com. That will take you straight to the Facebook group. You can request to join, and uh, just as long as you look like you're a sane person and you're not going to spam us or troll us, I'm going to go ahead and and, uh, accept you in and uh, so you can be a part of the group. And uh, help to, I mean, you can come and lurk if you want to, or you can come and participate and, and share. Uh, kind of like what Daisy was saying as far as uh, a, a place that's safe, you know, for newbies. We definitely want that, you know. I, I definitely do not want a place where people are going to, you know, start putting down other people for asking questions. So that's available as well if you want to learn and grow a little bit more. You are welcome to come join us on the Facebook group. Alright, so let me leave you with this. Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.